What do the Vikings and Jaron Hall need to do in order to beat the Atlanta Falcons this Sunday? We're going to talk about it right here. And some interesting quotes from Quaysido Fomenta in his post-trade deadline press conference today and how the future of this team is going to be shaped moving forward, what he's tried to do to improve it, and much, much more here on The Real Forno Show. Welcome to The Real Forno Show, hosted by Tyler Bornis, the managing editor of USA Today's Vikings Wire, writer for the College Football Network, publisher of Substack Run in Shooter, host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, as well as a founding member of Vikings First and Score. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Real Forno Show. I'm your host, Tyler Fornis. With me, as always, top right corner, he is producer Dave. And today, he is not an English schoolboy. He looks uh, like uh, somebody who's going to be on, uh, what? I, what's the planet in People Star Wars? dress well, uh, yes. Moth, I think it is. Uh, well, the mm-hmm. snow planet. Yeah, yeah. You, you look like you're, you're dressed to go out there today. Well, it's been cold, a little chilly here in Texas. It will warm no, up. I'm not talking the flannel. The flannel looks like you're, you're trying to be Paul Bunyan. I'm talking the hat. <laughs> it's just one of my hats. I can switch and put on another one. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. There's quite a bit to talk about here, and let, let's just kind of get into it. Um, so let's talk about Quasi Dofomensa. And Quasi had a press conference today. And one of the reasons why you see my eyes not looking directly at the camera is because camera here, monitor here. So when I read, bada bada <laughs> bada boom, it's just much easier because it's a bigger screen than my laptop. And Eventually, I'll get a desktop in the office, but right now, it's a laptop powering it. So, let's kind of talk about this. And I, the one thing that really stood out to me reading this was it. Quasi continued to talk about collaboration, and he talked about collaboration in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways he really focused on it was making moves. Okay, and. One of the reasons why he didn't, we wasn't as aggressive, potentially selling pieces off, was what Vikings players came up to him and said. Okay, and let me let me find the portion of the quote. All right, um, he said uh, that he never, he just didn't see the opportunity to you know move some of those guys, and he really leaned on the leadership of the team. And he and quote. I had some guys reach out to me. This was before the game uh, Sunday. We're sitting in playoff position before the game starts. And they kind of reached out to me and said, Quace, we're gelling. We love this team. We love being here. They didn't need to do that. But I love the relationship I have with those guys that they felt comfortable enough to reach out through different channels to say that. Obviously won the game the way we did. And ultimately, I made the decision uh, that we made to stand pat and keep going the way we're going. And I thought that was really important. So collaboration is something that is a buzzword. Okay. It's something that corporate conglomerates and corporate entities say, and I guarantee you, you've heard buzzwords like that. Even if you go work at a restaurant and you watch like video training, you're going to hear buzzwords like teamwork, collaboration. Synergy. uh, Yeah. So buzzwords are really popular, but it's not the buzzword itself means something. And to every company and every entity and every person, it means something different. Does it actually mean that you're going to do those things or this is just what we're going to say, but we're not going to emphasize practicing this. And the way Quasi Adolfo Mensa has really worked and managed this team so far, he has epitomized collaboration. He talks about it and he's living it and he's talking about it right here with having conversations with leaders on this football team to help him guide and make decisions. Because at the end of the day, Something that we forget when we talk about um, these players being assets, which in a business sense, they are assets. They're also people. And when you build a culture, you can't just strip something away from that culture and expect everything to be fine. No, sometimes you can. Sometimes like, look, they let's they offered us way too much for this player and we had to make the move. I, I understand that it's upsetting and I understand that, hey, you guys all loved him and you'll be frustrated. And then I respect that. My door's open, but we got an offer that was too good to refuse. 
You can do things like that once in a while, once you've really established a great culture. The Vikings are in the process of, I, I want to say they're finalizing that establishment because Kevin O'Connell and Quasio Fomentz have been in the building for about 21 months now. And establishing that culture takes time. It takes diligence. It takes consistency. I can't just walk into your place of work and be like, hey, we're going to do this, that, and the other thing. Well, where's my credibility? What, why in the hell should you listen to me? That's what these guys are doing. They're establishing their credibility. They're establishing themselves. And then by doing so, it's a lot easier to follow a leader that you believe in and trust that they're going to do the things that they say. And we're at a point where that's really gelling and happening. And I think that's a net positive for this football team. Now you can argue, oh, they should have just sold anyways. Well, it, there's a human element that you just can't quantify. It's very difficult to actually quantify because you can't quantify emotions. You, it's not a number you can put on paper. And that's kind of what I mean. So analytics are an incredible tool. You can't quantify culture. You can't quantify believing in each other. Like those things matter and they matter a lot. Being able to trust the person next to you, especially on like offensive line, it matters. And it's just something you can't quantify. And the Vikings right now have that. Dave, I think that this is a huge benefit moving forward. Even if the Vikings don't finish the season very strong record-wise, I think we, are, we have an incredible foundation for the future of this franchise. Good. I hope so. Now, Harms uh, brings up the question, Patrick Harms, that he traded Ezra for a six because of their great depth, question mark. People defend him. Why did we only get a six for Ezra? You know, I've been I've been sitting on this, and I think we know why they've deemed Ezra that ex- expendable. One, they like Reisner, and we know the relationship that Reisner has with offensive line coach Chris Cooper. Uh, two, Chris Reed practiced in full today, and he may come off the NFI list this weekend. So all of a sudden. You have Chris Reed, who a lot of us really liked, and I still like. I think he's a very solid player who can play three positions on the offensive line. You have Blake Brandle, who can play four. You have Questenberry, who's a tackle. You have Schlotman, who's a center. Chris Reed can play center, too. You all of a sudden have depth you feel comfortable about. Outside of Questenberry, who played, like, I don't know, like 15 snaps when uh, Darius, like, we had that revolving um, spot at tackle for a game. Outside of that, the, like I think you can feel comfortable playing Blake Brandle. We've seen it. You can feel comfortable playing Chris Reed. We've seen it. You, same thing with Austin Schlotman. We saw it earlier this year. He had a stretch when Garrett Bradbury was still. He played very well. So it, it it's frustrating to lose a guy like Cleveland because you did take a hit to your depth. But it was obvious that the Vikings didn't value Cleveland in their long-term plans. Not because he wasn't talented, but because you're dealing with a salary cap league and Cleveland was going to want more money. And there's rumors floating around that have been mentioned on Score North multiple times that Cleveland wants to play tackle. He came in as a tackle and he wa- that's what he wants to play. But so, he's still the eighth ranked guard. And the eighth ranked guard is still one of the best linemen in the league, period, to get so little value out of that, whether you he was in your plans to stay or not, mm-hmm. seems that's where that six comes in and seems low. Why did now? I'd heard yesterday that part that San Francisco was interested in Ezra as well. Okay, what was San Francisco's offer? We don't. We have no idea. Nobody has told us. And did they go with a lesser offer because it get him out of the NFC? We don't know that, but it's, I can't believe that you're going to get a six rank guard who can play tackle and wants to play tackle or eighth rank guard. And you only get a six that, that was a little head scratcher for me. I understand getting rid of him and dishing him off. It's the low price they paid. It's like, you've got something you built. That's really, really, really nice. Hey, 
one of my paintings, right? Valued at $750. But I'll trade it to you for 50. I just lost a bunch of money in that process because it cost me over 450 just in production costs of this thing. And mm-hmm. to me, that did not make sense that they only got a sixth for it. I would have expected higher, but hey, what do I know? I'm just an old time blogger that's been around <laughs> for doing this for over two decades. So I'll say this, and I thought about this a lot, and I think this this is a really important piece of the puzzle. If Ezra Cleveland leaves next year, he likely nets you a compensatory fifth round pick at best in the 2025 NFL draft. The Which Vikings got equivalent to a sixth. The Vikings got a sixth round pick from the Jaguars, but that sixth round pick is the original pick from the Carolina Panthers. Theoretically, that's going to be a top three pick in the round. So basically that's a compensatory fifth. You're getting it a year earlier. I will say that I thought he was worth more and a lot of people thought he was worth more than the sixth. But sometimes when you make those calls, teams are just aren't willing to give up and it's the old economic principle, supply and demand. You have the supply, but if the demand isn't there for what you're asking and it's a depreciated asset, it's all, it's like, you go to a restaurant and they have a special on fish because that like the fish is going to go bad in two days and they need to sell it. Otherwise they're going to completely lose out on the, on their product. They're going to have to throw it away. I think that's what you're looking at here, Dave. You're looking at the Vikings. were going to lose this asset no matter what. And they decided to take the six round pick this year rather than wait on a potential compensatory pick. And I'll say this as well. I think that, it could also be a situation where they plan on being active in free agency. Now that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go for big names being active in free. Ag- they were active in free agency this year, signing guys like Josh Oliver, Byron Murphy, Jr. Marcus Davenport. That's active. You do those things and set yourself up because, and then if you make those moves, Dave, all of a sudden, guess what? You don't actually have any, any room to get a compensatory pick back because you signed too many people. So I think there's a lot of layers to this and the Vikings net savings like close to a million dollars versus the guy you're going to be bringing on. So Josh Dobbs is an $880,000 salary um, for the Vikings the rest of the year, I think it is. And Ezra Cleveland would have been paid about 1.4 million. So that's about $550,000 in savings. So you're saving a little bit on the salary cap too. Look, the value should have been higher. I agree. But sometimes if teams just aren't willing to offer it to you and it's not a situation where, hey, like we're going to, somebody's going to give us a, like a team, one first round pick for Patrick Mahomes. Like that's getting way under value. It's a guard who has played relatively well up until this year. And this year he's taking a step forward but you don't have this massive history of him playing at the level of like a top 10 guard, according to a lot of metrics. So there's so many different layers here. Plus it's an expiring contract, which is inherently is less valuable to trade for. So sixth round pick should have been higher. Yeah. Does it ultimately matter at the end of the day? I don't really think so. You, you got a lot of positives out of it and they obviously believe that, um, they would prefer Risner or Reisner in that spot over Cleveland, whether that's correct or not. That's the route they decided to go. So it just kind of is what it is. And but there, there's a lot of layers to it. And I got caught up in this yesterday too, of just being really frustrated that they didn't get more for him. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, but. I want to talk about a couple more things that Quasey said. Okay. He talked about the Justin Jefferson extension. He also talked about Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is already talking about OTAs, by the way, next year. And the the one common thread, and I'll I'll read this about it, the the Justin Jefferson extension because somebody did ask about that. 
Um, I just got to find it. And I, this holds true with what he was talking about with Kirk Cousins and how Quasi Dofamensa is approaching these deals and how he's approaching these negotiations. Because he said, it doesn't matter how much I want Kirk Cousins back, which he alluded to that he does like Kirk Cousins and wants him back. But he says, and a quote, you know, with a negotiation, I hate to always give you this answer, but it's just two people trying to come together and see if their needs can be met. At the time, it didn't feel like there was. There was a reason they don't normally get done two years early. I'll kind of leave it at that. You can look at salary caps and contracts and new money and all that stuff. There's just reasons why it's harder to do those in those periods of time. But the dialogue was always super positive. We think he's the best receiver in the league. Now, this is strictly talking Jefferson. Um, and we want him to be Viking for a long time. I think that's how you start and we'll figure out the rest. End quote. Like, it's not always as simple as, oh, you need to sign him. How dare you not sign him? I can't believe you didn't sign him. It takes two to tango. Dave, I can offer you a million dollars a year to do X. But if you don't want to do X or don't want to do it for a million dollars a year, doesn't matter if my offer is phenomenal. You can still say no. And I think sometimes with these contract negotiations, that gets lost. And it's a frustrating thing because you would want to improve that. You would want to just be able to make everything happen right away. But it takes two to tango. And I think we forget that sometimes with these things. And too much blame gets placed on Quasey. Maybe Quasey made the greatest offer of all time. Justin Jefferson just isn't ready to sign it. It could be the opposite way, where they gave the Vikings a team-friendly deal, but the Vikings just didn't want to sign it. We just don't know. There are too many variables in this situation, and it's one of those deals. You, It's frustrating and annoying, but it takes two to conclude a negotiation and be happy with it. Gotcha. All right. I'm going to take a sip. <laughs> you take a sip. What you yeah, it's, it, it's no, it's just water. Um, I don't drink enough water. And I, I mean, I story. I still have my bourbon, my Viking bourbon, but I want to take a moment to thank everybody here for joining us here live tonight on a Wednesday evening. Yesterday's show is doing crazy numbers. Thank you for joining us at 1.45 in the afternoon on a Tuesday. It was a lot of fun, and we're going to be doing more stuff like that, more pop-up kind of shows when we you're like, you know what? This needs to be talked about, and we'll have some draft stuff, too, that Dave and I will coordinate and have a little bit of fun. I will say a programming note. Um, I haven't told Dave this yet, but the 29th of um, November, Four weeks from today, I will be at a live wrestling show. At, I'm going to go to All Elite Wrestling's Dynamite. So there will not be a live show. There may be a tape show. But just to everybody knows, we'll keep mentioning it. There will not be anything. But you can always like, subscribe, and ring the bell to make sure they get those ding, ding, dings the second <laughs> one of those shows comes up because then you'll be ready to rock and roll. And you know what? If you can't join live right away, there's the beautiful on-demand option and the podcast feed. You'll be able to check those out as well. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, all the things. All the things help. And you can also become a subscriber to the YouTube channel. That helps as well. You don't have to do any of those things. You can just enjoy our content. That helps too. But the more little things that are free, even, that you do make a big difference for us. And we greatly appreciate all of you that that do those things. Now, Dave, I I think we'd be remiss to not start the conversation about um, the savior of the Minnesota Vikings, and his name is Jaron Hall. Now, I, I'm being uh, using a, bit, a little bit of hyperbole because, look, there's a very small chance that Hall is the next franchise quarterback. And I want to use this uh, quote from Quasi from today's press conference. He was asked straight up, how do you know that Jaron Hall is ready to start? And I think this was very insightful. And one of the things that I really like about uh, Quasi when he, he speaks, he's in, very insightful and he's an excellent orator. So he has this way about getting his point across really well without like sounding too standoffish or making anybody feel dumb. He just, he is just, he's great at having these conversations with the media and press conferences. So here's the quote. Ultimately, you don't know that anybody's ready to start until they get out there, but I can tell you the poise he has every interaction I've had with him. Obviously we scouted him. I went to see him in person last year and everything you know about his background, his story, he is poised. 
we asked the players after the Packers game when he played in the game, what was it like? And they were like, it's not too big for him. You know, I think that that's the first test you always look for. And look, your first snaps come backed up at Lambeau Field. That's not, I would say, in the ideal situation. On a third down, he stood in there and he converted a pass. That first down pass to TJ Hawkinson. Chris, you set up that cam, we'll do it. But you're going to have to clean my carpet because Odie pees in here almost every time I do a show. That's more than five minutes. Um, and he converted that pass. TJ Hawkins was like 11 yards, completed a first down on third and eight. You always look for those small signs because sometimes the data is not going to be large and you have to make decisions. But I know when I made this decision, I say in my office, <laughs> I, I think I was going to say this earlier, but I listened to Creed. I was thinking about Kirk. I listened to Creed and I watched my college caught up of him being Jaron Hall. I watched my preseason caught up of him. I watched his practice caught up. I read all our, all our reports and analysis and look, it's not going to look the same as Kirk Cousins, right? Kirk Cousins is one of the best throwers the, this league has. He's really experienced. But I think there's a way he can play that we can function. I think there's a way that Nick Mullins can play that we can function. And that's what I came to conclusion-wise. I think this offense, this scheme, I'd be remiss without talking about Kevin and what he does for that offense and how he sets people up to succeed. A lot of my confidence in him and the staff and Wes Phillips and Chris O'Hara, the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, and everybody we have here. So I'm excited to go see it, just like you guys. I'm going to be watching on Sunday morning. That's what we do with this football season. Those first four games of the year, you have a projection, but those things exist in your mind. I'm learning about this football team the same way you guys are, and what I've learned is something I've really liked, and I'm glad we're going to be able to see to play some meaningful football games, we'll see what happens. I really like that answer, Dave. And one of the reasons I like that answer a lot, you don't know. Nobody knows if you're ready to start. It's just like Mike Tyson said. You always have a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Well, what happens when you get punched in the mouth? How do you respond? And those things matter when you get on the football field. What happens when Jaron Hall gets blindsided for a massive sack? How's he going to respond? Is he still going to be comfortable in the pocket? Is he going to get really skittish? Is he going to start making errant throws? Is he going to panic and really like rush his mechanics. We don't know any of those things because preseason is different from regular season based on level of talent, based on scheme, based on actually having a game plan like preseason games. They basically just run core concepts. And by running core concepts, you get it's man on man. I'm better than you. It's the just a preseason. Now it's different. Now it's, it's a game plan of attack. It's like, it's like a war battle. Where, hey, I have my strategy, and Dave, you you were in the military for a long time. There is a strategy to every single thing that you you do, and you have a plan. (laughs) Yeah, you have a plan for what is going to happen and contingencies for what could happen. And it's not always as simple as, hey, like if you have a game plan that matters. And I think that when you look at all these things, Jaron Hall is going to be set up to succeed. Can he? We'll find out. Your plan is the first step of, to deviation because nothing goes according to plan. We rehearse as many possibilities as possible. What ifs, you know, and you ask yourself, so you're prepared, but you can't absolutely think of everything. So as soon as you get that first punch, Mike Tyson quote, you go off of that, and then you counter. And hopefully, you've thought of how you want to counter, and then nail it. And the more you know, the more questions you've already had answered, the more you've gone through it, the calmer you'll be, and the better decisions you'll make. And that's what we hope to see with this young man come Sunday. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see it, and sending a message here really quick because this is fantastic audio and I wanted you all to be able to experience it. Um, the one thing I'm really interested about, and we briefly touched on it on Sunday, uh, or sorry, not Sunday, uh, Monday. I'm really excited to see what the run game looks like and how they implement stuff. That's better for Jaron hall that they can't do or wouldn't do with Kirk cousins because Kirk can move well enough. He is not what I would consider mobile. He's not what I considered great on his feet. 
But what he can do is move with the ball and run. He can be a weapon in the running game. He's not an elite runner. It's not Lamar Jackson. Let's let's not get ourselves uh, twisted here. But he can run well like a Dak Prescott, like an Aaron Rodgers in his prime. You you set you give him a rollout and you give him an open space for twenty yards. He'll take it. It's a former baseball player. He knows how to he knows how to move. He knows how to throw from a lot of different angles. There is a lot to like and adding elements of misdirection. Those RPOs. It can change the way a defense attacks you. And I think with Hall and his ability to do some of those things, it could be a net positive for this offense. Like, I don't know how many of the, like the intricate passing concepts that you're going to have in there for Hall right away. This could be a relatively simple game plan just to keep his confidence level high and not put too much on him right away. So there's a lot of different things here that we can look at. Yeah, but you got to remember, he's gone through every single play so far this season. And part of the game planning and prepping and stuff. So he knows at least somewhat familiar with everything Kirk's done. Plus, he's ran the practice squad, so he's emulated other teams' quarterbacks. Now, is he proficient at all that stuff? No. Uh, But is he familiar with it? Yes, and that is going to help. Now, the question you talked about the running game, will there be any planned or designed QB runs? Might we see like a QB draw or something like that? I wouldn't be shocked if they have a little bit of something, Dave, because there is like there is an element to his game. I don't think he's somebody you want running a lot. You don't want him to be a designated runner, but I do think that you can utilize that skill set to your advantage. Um, I want to answer Scott's question here. Will they play Dobbs on Sunday only if Hall gets hurt? He's not going to be ready. I don't know if he's going to actually be active. He'll be third quarterback. The one interesting thing about Dobbs is Dobbs is going to be like a Josh Freeman that comes in here and is in the building for a week and a half and then just sucks. Dobbs is better than that. He has already proven that he can learn the playbook really quickly. Uh, he was in the building in Arizona for like three, four days when uh, he ended up starting. The Titans signed him off of uh, a, a practice squad, the Lions practice squad. And then he played two games for him, started both of them. And one of them was like a division deciding game against the Jaguars. Like it's, it's very interesting to see how a player can come in at the toughest position in sports and play that and play well, like not play conservative and not play like, like trash. No, he looked like a capable starting quarterback. And if the Vikings need him to, he could do that. Um, I don't know if he will, but the one thing that uh, I think you're going to hear a lot about with Josh Dobbs he had a 4.0 at Tennessee, and he's a rocket scientist. Literally. This dude is a rocket scientist. That's dope as hell. That's awesome. Yep. A degree like, in aerospace engineering with uh, emphasis on the space side. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really cool. It also shows his intelligence and the ability to absorb and process information so coming in and learning an offense or at least being able to learn like a bunch of the core concepts right away especially considering you spend time in cleveland he's probably already knows some of those core concepts and it's just hey getting the verbiage down and getting nuances so i'm really excited to kind of see how this whole quarterback thing plays out this is still better than tavares jackson brooks bollinger sage rosenfels and I don't know if this is 
Like, I don't know how the season's going to end up. If this team makes the playoffs, I will be thrilled as a fan. We can talk about the team building aspect. Oh, it's better to tank. It's look, it's always better to have a higher draft pick, but how you get there matters too. And like when the Colts got the number one overall pick in 2012 and took Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning went down for the season with a neck injury and they just wrote it out. And then you saw how much Peyton Manning really did mean to that team where he, that team just stunk. And I'm excited to kind of see what happens with Jaron Hall, what happens with Josh Dobbs. And I think all this stuff matters and it's going to be really fun to watch. T. Kubler says Jaron Hall ain't him. Kellen Mond had a better first series against the Packers than Hall under worse conditions. I don't remember that, but okay. Look, uh, Jaron Hall like got strip sacked because Christian Derrissaw let uh, Preston Smith get around the bend, and I think that's something that's going to be really interesting to watch too. Kirk Cousins, if you watch him, he's almost robotic. He will... If he's going to take a five-step drop, he's going to end up at the same spot every time. He's very consistent. You have Jaron Hall, rookie. The offensive line is not going to know those benchmarks nearly as well. And you saw that against the Packers where Preston Smith got around. Derrissaw, Hall's cocking back to throw, and he gets stripped. Like, that happens. Um, I don't... I think... Uh, a three-play series for both guys, I don't think is necessarily fair to them. To me, it's just fine. But the next series he came out, he didn't look rattled. He made that third down throw to Hawkinson. He was able to throw the screen to Osborne. I think all those things matter too. And I don't know if he's going to be it. I don't know if he's going to be the guy. He probably won't. But I'm really excited to find out and watch the process and figure out how things are going to be different with Jaron Hall than they were with Kirk Cousins, how things are going to grow and adapt, how the Vikings offense is going to thrive. Is it going to be like, it's Justin Jefferson going to come back and all of a sudden, like they're going to be fine and you're going to have a lot more open receivers because like, Justin Jefferson is going to be there. There's so many interesting factors with this team still in they're four and four. They're going to be competing for a playoff spot. These games are going to be pivotal the next two weeks against the Falcons and Saints because they could mean tiebreakers, head-to-head tiebreakers. That matters, guys. That's going to matter. That loss to the Bucks already stinks because of head-to-head tiebreakers. And it, it's going to be really fun. I can't wait. Um, Jaron Hall, everybody knows so much I love Jaron Hall, but I, I'm trying to keep myself in a a good spot here because we just don't know. Like I'm hyping up a fifth round pick. We we have to try and keep our expectations realistic. And this this is going to be really fun, Dave. I'm, I'm very excited for Jaron Hall. Well, we had a comment in the last video that uh, there's no way Jaron Hall is going to be a franchise quarterback. He ain't good, and don't even bother looking at him. Basically, he won't win you a Super Bowl, and that's probably the case. That's the case with over 99% of all quarterbacks that come in the NFL. But that was Mm -hmm. also probably said about Tom Brady when he was drafted. Joe Montana, too. Yeah. These guys aren't going to do it. Look at him. There's no way. They don't have their prerequisite tools, and we know different. It it did happen. Will it happen with Jaron Hall? We hope so, but logically, no, it won't. Just like logically, the Vikings won't win the Super Bowl. They never have. Why should they start now? But we all hope for that one time when they do, and that's... The same thing with Hall. You don't know. You've got a blank slate. Some quarterbacks play great in college, or running backs for that matter, or any position, play great in college and never make the transition to the NFL. Whereas others that were turned out to be backups in most of their career in college suddenly get to the NFL and a light goes off and it 
suddenly develops into very, very good players that do win Super Bowls. So you can never count somebody out just because, well, I watched him in the preseason and he was a rookie and he was playing with third stringers and he stunk. Um, No, let's see what he can do. He's had all that time, all that training. Now, did he get all those snaps? No. Is he getting all the snaps this week? Yes. But he is absorbing stuff the whole time. So, mm-hmm. as Mary says, all you got to do is believe, and we'll see on Sunday. Did it pay off? Did it not? Is there promise there, or is there not? You know, once we saw Mon start to play after a while, we were like, dude, no. And we saw that there wasn't promise there. Hall can be different. Hall may be the same. I've already seen more out of Hall than I ever did out of Mont. But we won't know until we play. And we're going up against a good team to test that hypothesis. We're not sending him against the San Francisco 49ers or the Philadelphia Eagles for his first welcome to the NFL moment. We're going against the Atlanta Falcons, who happened to bench their starting quarterback, their rookie quarterback. Now we're playing Tyler Heineke instead, but and their number one running back, Dijon, will be out as well. So there's the ability for him to have a good game. And both those guys are on their offense, but their defense isn't that special either. So it's it's the perfect sort of game for him to get his feet wet on a full, I'm the man, I'm practicing as the starter all week sort of thing, because we haven't seen that yet. Yeah, and I, I think that's really important to note, and that's why when we talked earlier about those first drives between Mond and uh, Jaron Hall, like, it's so hard to come in cold in your first ever NFL game talking about like coming in to just play. He's he's never played an NFL snap. And that matters here, guys. That matters a lot. He's never played an NFL snap. He comes in cold and he wasn't bad. I wouldn't necessarily say he was overly good, but he wasn't a disaster. And I think that's important here. Now he has an entire week where the team's rallying around him. He knows that he's the starter. He's going to be he's He's got to start the Atlanta Falcons game and outside of an injury or a massive disaster, he's going to finish the game. And that matters. Having a game plan catered around you matters. All those things factor in to a, a player's confidence, a player's ability. And that's why this Sunday is going to be really interesting. I, I just picked Jaron Hall up in my dynasty league because you know what? If he hits, I got him off waivers. Hell yeah. <laughs> if he misses, eh, I got him off waivers. Doesn't matter. This is kind of where you're at. You take a fifth round pick. A lot of times fifth round picks don't make rosters. You make a fifth round pick. He's a quarterback. Bada bing, bada boom. If he hits, guess what? You have a very inexpensive franchise quarterback for a long time. If he misses, you took a shot on a fifth round pick. Likely a hit is he's your backup quarterback throughout the duration of the contract and maybe longer. We'll see what happens. And that's why I'm, I'm talking with so much ambiguity here. Everything's different until you get punched in the mouth. Let's see him play a game. Let's not. Uh, and I've tried really hard in this space and others. Like when I've been hyping him up to not speak in any kind of confident platitudes. I'm just telling you what I've seen off his college tape and how he can project. We don't know until he actually gets in there and plays. We didn't know about Brock Purdy. We didn't know about Jalen Hurts. I mean, there are plenty of failures too, but there are success stories. There are guys who were taken on day three who are starters in the NFL. Like Russell Wilson, before he fell off a cliff, was a mid-third round pick. Like You can see success with these guys. Let's, let's give them the time. And then once they figure it out, and once you figure out, okay, this guy is legit or this guy isn't, then we can kind of move on. But look, the season's not going to have Kirk Cousins in it again. 
So it's good that they're giving him a real chance to be the guy. And guess what? If he ends up being the guy, just imagine what that does for the team building process. You already have the quarterback. You already have the tackles. You have two receivers, a tight end. Now you can go into the draft with a, with a different plan. And then you can keep building the team. You can just focus on, Hey, our defensive line kind of stinks. Let's get defensive linemen. Hey, we could use a running back. Let's get one. And all those things matter. And this is why the quarterback position is so important. But if you have one on a rookie deal, Oh buddy, you can just go out and be like, Hey, I'll give you $20 million for three years. I don't have to pay my quarterback for three years. I I can spend a little bit. This is great. Mm -hmm. Like, Let's see what kind of Chris asked a good question. Which players are going to need to step up for Jaron Hall to be successful besides Jaron Hall? Which players will need to adapt to fit his skill sets? None. Just do your job. Do your job. Well, like he's playing in a very similar offense to what he played at BYU. And Chris asked a follow-up question talking about route concepts. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see a lot of the same route concepts. You're going to see a lot of the same players, like the same things like that. All that matters. And that's why situation matters so much when you're coming into the NFL. I'm not asking you to go from a wide, wild spread offense air raid and learn the West coast. I'm asking you to go from Shanahan McVay, inspired concepts with spread formations to go Shanahan McVay inspired concepts and do them in NFL formations. I'm not asking him to change the wheel here or reinvent it. I'm asking him to just slightly adapt what he already knows. That's doable. That's Mm -hmm. something that you can figure out. And I'm very, very excited to see that happen. Need to take a drink again. (laughs) <laughs> Jacob Sarek I'll bet he's better than Jordan Love That would be fun to see I would love to uh, Rub that into the NFC North podcast that you can find here Probably Friday morning We recorded it today And uh, And listen We uh, sort of picked on the Packers It was fun but that's a good deal. Let's let's bounce Hall's stats on Sunday versus Jordan Loves and see who did better. Packers play the Rams, by the way. Josh, Jordan Love stinks, man. He's bad. He is bad. Jordan Love. Oh, you know, and it, it, the frustrating part about the whole Jaron Love thing is you wanted to find out if he had it. So if you want to find out he had it, you should put him in a good situation. They have, like, their top two receivers are second-year players. Their next two receivers are rookies. Two of their top three tight ends are rookies. The offensive line is shaky. Aaron Jones has been healthy. Nobody's running the right route concepts. Like, you're not setting him up to succeed. And on top of that, he's not good. So it's it's just a disaster right now in Green Bay. And as a Vikings fan, Dave, it's great. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's so great. Oh, I love the fact that it's just not working out there because they've had so many things go right for them. They had Hall of Fame quarterbacks back to back for 30 years. I'm 33 years old. I turned 34 in December. Wait. No, my birthday's on a Thursday this year. There won't be a show on my birthday. Ah, I was, I was going to be like, oh, we could party on my birthday, but no, it'll be <laughs> on a Thursday this year. So th- these things matter, Dave. And you have to have a good infrastructure in place. If you don't have the good infrastructure in place, it's hard to ask that player to succeed. And that's why the Vikings, I think, are in a much better spot because they have the infrastructure for him. We'll find out if Jaron Hall succeeds. Just all I ask is if you're pro Jaron Hall, if you're anti Jaron Hall, or if you love Kirk Cousins so much you don't want anybody else to succeed in that spot, just keep an open mind. Keep an open mind and let him kind of figure things out. And Mateo, I'll say this about Jordan Love. 
played against LSU. That was arguably the greatest team in the history of college football that he played against that LSU team. And he played at Utah state. I, I don't think Jordan Love is good, but I, I I'll give him a pass there. That that's okay to struggle against that LSU team. Um, let's talk a couple things real quick about the Falcons because we've spent most of the show talking about Jordan Love and the trade deadline stuff. Um, Desmond Ritter got benched. Ritter stinks, so that's kind of a downer for the Vikings. In turn, they're going to face against old friend Taylor Heineke, and Heineke. If you, if you don't remember, was going to be the starter in 2016 after Teddy Bridgewater's injury, but he kicked down a glass window in his apartment because he locked himself out and he yeah, shredded it and his ankle. He would have been the guy, and I think that could have been a really interesting season. And I think once I die and I end up in heaven, I'm going to ask God to show me the entire season of Taylor Heineke was a starter because I I kind of want to see what it would. <laughs> um. I, I have a lot of those. It's it's going to be really fun. I want to see what happens if Percy Harvin doesn't go to the draft in 2009 and goes back to Florida. Does Florida run away with the national title and win the whole thing? I think they do. But let's... Uh, <clears throat> and Drake London, also their receiver, as I as I get there. Hey, uh, Kubler's right. They, they won't go 8-8 eight eight because there's a 17-game season now. They could go 8-8-1. Eight eight what they could. Um, Drake London didn't practice. I think it was a, I think it was a hamstring injury. Um, but Heineke is a gunslinger. He will fire away. Desmond Ritter just kind of stinks. Heineke's kind of like Case Keenum, where he'll play well in stretches and then he'll make a few bozo throws and like, dude, what are you doing? And the Vikings need to take advantage of those bozo moments. I need to take advantage of him making mistakes. And so far, this Vikings defense has done a really good job of preventing mistakes. Sorry, taking advantage of mistakes. I will say the Vikings offense, Dave. Oh, they almost had no turnovers. I was going to say they didn't have a turnover against the Packers, but they did in late in the fourth quarter. That strip sack. I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Look, you're going to have to take advantage of that Falcons defense, especially, you know, Grady Jarrett established the run. Um, play action, get Jaron Hall comfortable, get, get him a couple easy throws early on to get him in a groove and get him comfortable throwing the ball. If you can do that, that's going to make a huge difference. Hey, it makes moving with Kirk. If Kirk, Kirk likes <laughs> to get those first few catches out of the way and then get, he feels positive. It's when he misses on those first few ones, he gets all up in his head. So, you know what's hilarious? The, first, the game against the Packers, he almost threw an interception right away to Quay Walker, his first throw, and he came back from it. Kirk was doing so many things that he had never done before, done before. and he was showing real growth. And it was, I'm not the biggest Kirk fan in the world. You guys all know that. I'm not anti-Kirk. I'm, I consider myself agnostic, and I let the film and the data kind of show me what to think, and that's how I form my opinions. Man, Kirk was playing so well, and to see him go down with that injury just in in a vacuum sucks and is awful for him. But to do it like that was so much work. Minnesota Vikings fans can't have nice things. I blame you. <laughs> go ahead, <laughs> I'll take it. All right. Anyway, um, before we end up going here tonight, I know uh, Dave had something that he he wanted to talk about. So, Dave. I'm going to give you the floor. Yep. Um, today, I learned a good friend of mine died, passed away. His name is Scott Big Guns, or Admiral Big Guns, Backstrom. That's him on the left. You've seen him. You've watched plenty of Vikings football games. You've seen him in the stands, usually with his daughter. He takes his daughter to the game. But he uh, lost battle, second battle this time to cancer, and he passed away this morning. Scott was one of our original sponsors back when Ted and Drew and myself were doing Good Morning Gallahorn. And he made Tailgate Master Spices, Tears of Our Enemies, 
was absolutely across the board our favorites. It was absolutely fantastic. He went on to sell the company Well, when he had his first battle with cancer. Company still goes on, and uh, but today he uh, he made his way to Valhalla, and someday I will see him there. He's a good friend. He's the one that got me into fantasy football. We had a weird league called Kobos, where it was points only, and that's a whole different strategy. And he was a really really good man. My thoughts and my prayers and love go out to his family and friends. And uh, till Valhalla, my brother, till Valhalla. And Saturday, we have two old bloggers. And not only do we have three themes this week, we have a bonus fourth. And you'll get to find out what. But we will be going over in our old grisly ways what all happened this week. And we'll get deep into that game on Sunday. Man, I, I can't believe how good looking I am as your bonus theme. That's so nice of you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Um, look, uh, um, I told you this off air, but I, I'm sorry to your loss. And I know, um, I know Ted Glover will probably end up listening to this. And um, my condolences go out to you and everybody who knew Scott and his family. And it's it's never easy. I'm going to be at a a funeral this weekend. One of my um, good friends from high school, his his mom just passed away. And there it's never fun. It's never easy. And it, it hits me a little different now. Cause I, as most of you know, I almost died and it's, it just hurts and it hurts a lot. And I wish I, I'm sorry. Let's just put it that way. Um, in the meantime, I, I just want to say thank you everybody for joining us here today. Um, we're going to be having more fun content for you covering this Minnesota Vikings franchise. We're going to be doing it in a much more fun way. And we're going to be ending more of these shows in a positive manner. Today was just, we wanted to, uh, send all of our, our thoughts and love to everybody who knew Scott. So it's ending on a little bit of a somber note, but sometimes that's okay. Uh, make sure you like subscribe, ring the bell, comment and help us grow this channel we we have already grown 75 subscribers in the past three days. We would love to make that at least a hundred. So if you're listening or watching for the first time, go hit that subscribe button, hit, hit the bell to give you notifications whenever we go live. So you make sure you know, to check us out it makes a difference. Our goal is 3,500 by the end of the NFL draft. And I think that's very possible considering how many great people already listen and watch this show. And how of how much quality content we believe we're putting out for you until then i'm tyler he's dave and we're gonna we're gonna say skull vikings but we're gonna say hey, it scott, scott, scott wood he's we're gonna, gonna be say cheer- scott, he's gonna be cheering on this team from heaven so skull vikings scott rest in peace skull vikings like, subscribe, and ring the bell to get notifications. It helps us grow this community that we all love our Minnesota Vikings. And on behalf of Tyler Fornis and myself, Dave Stefano, thank you so dearly for watching The Real Forno Show. Skull, everyone! This has been a Vikings First and Skull production, part of the Fans First Sports Network.